0: You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of John. Here's Nate. Well, one of the glorious things about the gospel is that through the cross of Christ and through the faith that someone expresses in Christ and the righteousness that they then receive through that process. What ends up taking place is that that person gains a shepherd. And that shepherd, of course, is Jesus Christ. And here in John chapter 10, we have a passage before us where Jesus is going to explain himself to the crowd that has gathered as the good shepherd and as the door of the sheep. And so I just wanted to start out with a simple thought that it is absolutely wonderful to have Jesus as your shepherd. His title in this text is going to be that of the Good Shepherd. He is the Good Shepherd, singularly. He is good at what he does, and he longs to shepherd each uh, one of our lives individually. Now, the big deal of the passage that's in front of us is very clear. It's that the sheep that belong to Jesus hear the voice of Jesus. Now, of course, the context for this is beautiful and wonderful in the sense that in John chapter 9, there was a man who had been born blind. He had never seen Jesus when he was healed by Jesus. He'd only heard the voice of Jesus. It wasn't until later, after he had been healed, that he was able to see Jesus with his own to eyes. And so this man is a wonderful picture of what it is to be one of Jesus's flock. You know that before we see him, before we lay our eyes upon him, uh, there is the hearing of his uh, voice. And so this man who had been blind and only knew the voice of Christ before he was healed and touched is a beautiful picture of the sheep of Jesus. And Jesus at the, at the end of John chapter 9 explained to everyone who was gathered there, including the religious leaders, he said, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, we see. And so your guilt remains. And then Jesus is now going to go on and explain. That some people are of his flock and other people are not of his flock. And the ones who are, are those who hear his call and hear his voice. And so today as we look at the first 21 verses of John chapter 10, we're going to see the ministry and the role of Jesus as our uh, shepherd, the shepherd over our lives. He starts out in verse 1 and he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. Now, the first picture here that Jesus is going to use, you know, in that culture, obviously, there would be a high understanding of sheep and shepherds and the way that that relationship worked. Obviously, you know, a much higher connection to this analogy than I think many of us. Would have in our modern world i don't, i don't know maybe maybe you have deep experience working with sheep i I know that I myself don't, but from what i 've read and studied and discovered, apparently Jesus here is first taking us to the scene of this place called the sheepfold in verse one. Now the sheepfold was a very interesting place to me. It was a place where at night time a shepherd could deposit his flock and uh Pay for people to watch over his flock throughout the night. Uh, the sheepfold would often be inside of a town or a village. Sometimes it would be simply the courtyard of a family home or a group of family homes. Uh, a lot of times the fence around the sheepfold was merely made of sod or earth or you know rocks built up, piled high, and the shepherds then, different shepherds, would take their sheep, their flocks, and deposit them into the sheepfold. And and oftentimes you would have more than one flock inside of that singular enclosure. And so the analogy is very simple to understand in the sense that Jesus says, verse 1, that those who do not enter by the door but climb in by another way That man is a thief and a robber. And it's very obvious that he is speaking about and rebuking the religious leaders. These religious leaders who did not believe that the man had been healed of his blindness and then once they came to believe it, did not believe that Jesus was from God because he had had the audacity to heal on the Sabbath day. These same religious leaders who kicked the blind men who'd been healed out of the synagogue as a result of him standing up for Jesus and rebuking them for their unbelief. Those same religious leaders are still there. And Jesus declares, hey, listen, those who enter in by another way, they are thieves and robbers. And uh, all throughout scripture, there were these moments where God would rebuke the religious leaders In Israel, Isaiah 56, verse 9 through 12, Jeremiah 23, verse 1 through 4, Jeremiah 25, Zechariah 11. These are places where God would, through the prophets, as the priesthood had grown corrupt, He would rebuke the spiritual leadership in Israel. One prominent place that God rebuked this spiritual leadership is found in Ezekiel chapter 34. In that section, the Lord rebukes those religious leaders, spiritual leaders who had made themselves fat and had fleeced the flock. And here's the promise that God makes. He says in verse 11 of Ezekiel 34, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Uh, God himself prophesies and says, A day is coming where I will be done with these religious leaders, and I myself will shepherd my people. And I think that day is now here in John chapter 10 as Jesus shows up as the good shepherd and is presently here in our modern era. Certainly we have pastors and leaders elders, deacons, uh, overseers, teachers, prophets in the body of Christ, but we have one shepherd singularly. And so the paradigm has shifted in our modern day and age. But Jesus, you know, rebukes these spiritual leaders by saying, you know, anyone who climbs in another way, not by the door, they're a thief and a robber. But, verse 2, he who enters by the door... Is the shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens, and what you see here very simply is that you know Jesus, who is this shepherd who the gatekeeper opens for, the reason the gatekeeper opens for him and the reason that he's able to enter by the door is that he is the rightful owner of the sheep. And I think one of the first things we need to understand about Jesus as our good shepherd is that he is the rightful owner of those who have placed their trust and confidence in him, those he has uh, redeemed by the shedding of his blood, Jesus is their and our rightful owner. And, you know, as our rightful owner, he deserves to be in a position of authority and leadership in our lives. He deserves to be the shepherd of the sheep. You know, in heaven, there's a song that is sung. Revelation 5, verse 9 After they see that Jesus, like a lamb who has been slain from the foundation of the earth, as they see Jesus and realize that he has, because of that blood that he shed, authority to open the scroll in heaven and to loose its seals, a song is sung there in John chapter 5, verse 9, where the lyrics say this, Worthy are you to Jesus. To take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. In other words, through his blood, Jesus purchased his possession. He purchased uh, the church. He bought the field to gain The treasure. He purchased the pearl of great price. He laid down his life and shed his blood in order to obtain his flock, to rightfully own his sheep, to rightfully own his flock. And I just think it's important to mention when we consider Jesus as our shepherd, to understand that he is the rightful owner of all who call him Savior. He is also rightfully their Lord. And Jesus goes on in verse 3 to say, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has, verse 4, brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers now the second significant thing that we see here about jesus as our good shepherd is that his primary mode of leadership is his voice his primary mode of leadership is his voice now this was beautiful in the analogy that jesus is making in those days when a shepherd would go into that sheepfold if there were multiple flocks that were gathered inside of course the question would be how do you get your sheep out from amongst the general sheep population to follow you? And the answer was simple. The the sheep would know the voice or the unique call of their shepherd. And when he made that unique whistle that only he could make or that unique yelp that only he could make, they would hear it and they would begin to come out from among everyone else and follow him. And Jesus says that, he he does that, but he actually calls each one of his sheep by name. Uh, something that is even probably an an, an addition to uh, the shepherds of that era and time. And so the sheep come out, they follow him, and uh, they know his voice. He goes in front of them, Jesus says. He doesn't push from behind, yelling and shouting directions, but he calls them and walks in front of them, and they follow in his steps. You know, any level of sacrifice the Lord calls us to as our shepherd is something that he was willing to do himself. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. He was willing to be sacrificial. He was willing to lay down his rights. And when he asks us to behave in like manner, it's merely us behaving in like manner. We are following his example and uh, the voice and the life that he set in front of us. And so he says, you know, They follow him. They know his voice. Now in verse 5, he says, you know, a stranger they will not follow and they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now this is fascinating to me because Jesus is saying here that, you know, the shepherd, he calls his sheep, he leads his sheep. But he says, you know, they reject the voice of strangers, which as I look around at the modern church, I see many voices that are strange voices. Voices that are entirely anti-Christ uh, and non-Christian in nature. You know, whether it's somebody handing me some obscure book by a totally pagan author and saying, man, this is so great. I feel like I'm really, you know, getting great advice and counsel and direction uh, here. And I believe this stuff or whether it's someone believing some aberrant doctrine or theology, uh someone who, you know, gets overly involved in signs and wonders or you know majors on some doctrine to the exclusion of others. You know, whatever it might be, there are so many false teachers and false prophets and misrepresentations of the word of God out there and, and there are plenty of people to follow. And so Jesus says here, no, my sheep, they hear my voice. They don't follow after these strange voices, which is a wild truth for us to consider. You know, Jesus said in the parable of the wheat and tares, you know, the owner of the land, he planted his crop and his enemy came at night and sowed in tares amongst the wheat. They began to grow up together and his servants came and said, hey, you know, we have bad news. Someone has come and has deviously planted, you know, tares with the wheat. Should we go in and pull up the tares? And he said, no, don't do that, lest you destroy some of the wheat in the process. Instead, let them grow up together. And at the at the time of harvest, the end of the age, that's when some will be pulled up for burning and destruction, and some will be pulled up for fruitfulness, Alright. And so Jesus was using parables like this. Also, uh, the parable of the mustard seed plant, the birds of the air that nest in the branches of the church, the birds of the air always being an evil picture in the parables. And so, you know, you get these, this sense from Christ that he understands and knows that there is going to be a lot of awkward, unbiblical, anti-Christian stuff that even permeates into the church. But his real sheep, Jesus says, they hear his voice. Now, of course, uh, he is speaking primarily here about this man who was born blind, who heard his voice and received him. But, of course, this picture extends far beyond just this man. Now, verse 6, it says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They couldn't figure uh, this out. Now in verse seven, it says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it, abundantly. Now here Jesus shifts the picture from the sheepfold out to the pasture. Out in pasture, you know, they didn't have the luxury of taking their sheep at night to a sheepfold to deposit them for the evening. Well, they went and did shepherd things socially. Now they had to constantly be watching over their flock. And so one thing they would do is out in the pasture they would maybe find a cave or build a little makeshift pen. Uh, with branches and material that the land provided them. And they would create these little areas where the sheep could go in for safety at night, times when they're afraid. And the shepherd would stand at the door and he would actually inspect each sheep as they came in and out count the sheep. And then once they were all in for the evening, he would lie down over the threshold And actually, become the door of the sheep, and the sheep would not cross over his body uh, to, you know, find escape. And so Jesus is calling himself the door of the sheep, you know, and he continues to with this theme, you know, those who came before me were thieves and robbers, the false messiahs and the supposed deliverers, and the religious leaders that had become corrupt in Israel. Uh, They were thieves and robbers, according to Jesus. But those who come in by the door, Jesus said, by Jesus, they come in through Christ. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. In entering by Jesus, Jesus says, uh, a sheep, a man, a woman, will be saved. These other leaders came to steal and kill and destroy, but Jesus allows his sheep to go in and out and to find pasture, and so he tends to his sheep so wonderfully and so well. Now verse 11, he goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, the analogy actually goes out a little further here. We've seen the sheep fold, and we've been out in the pasture, and now we're at nighttime. And in the night, there was potential danger. In in that day and age, in that biblical era and time, there would be lions and wolves, jackals, panthers, leopards, bears, hyenas were common in that region. And so the picture that you need to have in your mind is that of bravery, right? That 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 being a shepherd was a sacrificial uh, lifestyle and, uh, you know, dangerous in many ways. You know, recently I spent a few minutes looking at artistic renderings of Jesus as a shepherd. And, you know, it's hilarious because in our industrialized world so often the artistic rendering is that of you know a version of jesus who is perfectly groomed and manicured his beard is nice and trim and he is just standing there with a weird look on his face just you know gazing at the little sheep that are walking around his feet you know or Other artists will picture Jesus picking up little lambs and snuggling with them, like as as if to communicate that the job of a shepherd is to simply snuggle with these adorable little creatures all day long. But uh, that's far from the reality then, and it's far from, from the reality of what it's like to actually be our shepherd. What I want you to have in your mind is that being our shepherd is one of the manliest bravest ministries that Jesus occupies uh, towards us. Back in 1 Samuel 17, when David, as a teenager, went out to meet his brothers and saw Goliath taunting the armies of Israel. And he was filled with bravery in his heart and word got back to Saul. And he went in to meet with Saul, King Saul. And Saul says, you know, who do you think you are thinking you can go and battle against this giant of a man. David's response was simple. He said, listen, God will take care of me. I used to keep my father's sheep. And when I did, there were moments when a lion would come or a bear would come and take a lamb from the flock. And I would go after them and strike them and deliver the lamb out of his mouth. And if they arose against me, I would catch them by their beard and strike them and kill them. You know, David was basically saying, oh, you want to know What qualifies me to fight against Goliath? I'm a brave shepherd. That's my history and my past. And so I just want you to see that, that Jesus laid down his life for us and continues to lay down his life sacrificially for us. This is a brave thing that he had done. He didn't merely die a death designed to serve as an example of how much he loves us. But he died for us because we, like sheep in the teeth of a wolf, were in imminent danger. You know, we needed to be rescued. The train of sin and wrath and death was racing down the tracks And we were pinned on that that train track. And Jesus released us and pushed us out of the way just in the nick of time. And he consumed and absorbed the full brunt of that sin and death and wrath in his own body on the cross of Calvary. And so what we need to know is, is that, you know, his ministry and shepherding us isn't some lightweight kind of thing that is cute and cuddly and sentimental. No, it is brutal. And sacrificial and required the laying down of his life. And if we serve a Lord who was willing to lay down his life in that way, then don't you know that today we still have an advocate with the Father, 1 John 2 1. His name is Jesus Christ the righteous. If he was for you then, he will be for you now. But you know, false shepherds, they flee when they see the wolf, Jesus says. They're simply hired hands, and they care nothing for the sheep. Now in verse 14, Jesus goes on and says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. You know, the next thing that Jesus communicates about his role as our shepherd is his intimate knowledge of us. He says, I know my own and my own know me. There's a, there's a connection and a closeness that we have together. And he uses this fascinating comparison in verse 15 when he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That same level of intimacy that has existed inside of the triune Godhead, the relationship between Father and Son for all of eternity, That's a a great illustration, Jesus says, of the intimacy, the knowledge, the oneness of uh, Jesus with his sheep. He says, I know my own and my own know me. You know, Paul says in Romans 6 that we are so closely identified with Jesus that it is as if when he died on the cross, we ourselves died. And when he was buried in the tomb, we ourselves were buried. And that when he rose from the dead, we also were risen. And in like manner, as he ascended to the right hand of the Father, so now we are seen by God as seated with Christ in the heavenly places. It's just amazing the closeness and the identity and the unity that we have and possess with Christ. And so what a wonderful invitation into practical relationship and fellowship with him. He longs to be close with us and to enjoy us and for us to enjoy him. And then Jesus says in verse 16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now he's there that day speaking to Jewish leaders, a Jewish crowd, with a Jewish blind man who has now been healed. And he stands up and says, there are others I have who are not of this particular flock. And I think Jesus is clearly referencing the future Gentile church that was to come, for which I'm personally incredibly thankful. And Jesus says, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. In other words, in the mind and heart of God, Uh, There is no need to strive to create unity. No, what we do as Christians is we strive to maintain the unity that we already have. We have unity around the cross and the gospel. That's what brings us together and makes us one flock with, as Jesus said, one shepherd. You know, he alone is the true shepherd. You know, no pastor or teacher can, uh, you know, be ultimately, everything-you-need kind of shepherd. Only Jesus can really do that. He's given pastors and teachers to the church as a gift for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry. Uh, However, he is the one shepherd who is true and good and noble. And for that, I'm so thankful. I think any pastor or spiritual leader worth his salt, when reading and studying John 10 and thinking about the pastoral shepherding ministry of Jesus, Every one of us says and understands that we are incomplete in the way we do things. Jesus Christ is perfect and good as our shepherd. Let's close out together. Verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father, He'll speak of his father later in the chapter, but here he's announcing this ministry of laying down my life. I have volunteered for it. And what that says of our value to him is amazing. There was again verse 19 a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes? of the blind and so jesus our good shepherd lays out his case and invites us into that kind of relationship with him allow him to shepherd your life god bless you and amen thank you for listening for additional resources and teachings or to contact us please visit us at nateholdridge.com